a spider mm -hmm. and a starfish from a distance look very much the same externally. Uh, of course, when you get up close, you begin to see structural differences, but underneath the surface is where things are dra dramatically different. So if you cut the head off of a spider, it's ripped. Uh, the spider's dead, no longer functional, because all the power, the locus of power is in the head. This represents hierarchical organizations or churches that look like a pyramid with uh, typically, it might be a lead pastor or lead pastor or an executive pastor or a small team that really has all the power. Um, and then the starfish, on the other hand, if you cut the arm off of a starfish, you get two starfish because it's actually a neural net. It's actually a like a brain network and everything is present in every cell to be able to reproduce the whole. Uh, so it's infinitely reproducible. And of course, that's the way of Jesus. When he says, go yeah. make disciples, every disciple is designed to be a disciple who can make disciples. Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Okay, here we go. Off to the races again. Hope you're having a great day, great week so far. I say that often, but I really do mean it. I hope that's the case for you. Um, boy, it is beautiful here today. And my backyard is like a bird sanctuary. We have so many birds. And I guess we've probably uh, made that happen in the sense that we've got hummingbird feeders hanging and we've got little suet block things hanging. But it is like woodpecker zone and we've got different kinds of hummingbirds. It is amazing. I, I love it. And of course, more, more this time of year in spring. But we get them all year here in the Pacific Northwest. We get hummingbirds all year and we get those giant woody woodpeckers all year, the ones with the big punk rock shock of red hair coming off the top and they're giant birds like i've only seen pictures of them until i moved out here but anyway so we're having a blast so loving the fact that spring is sprung and um anywho uh listen i want to invite you to join me on the facebook group if you've not done that yet we need your voice over there this is our place where we can talk about the episodes you can ask questions or even dive into anything missional or discipleship related. It doesn't have to be from the episode, but that's what we want to talk about is discipleship there in everyday life. You can check that out by either looking us up, Everyday Disciple Podcast on Facebook, or you can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook. The other thing I wanted to point out to you is, did you know you can now listen to the podcast, and I think every podcast, on Spotify? Yeah, it is the best. You probably already know that. It is the best. I love it. I use Spotify for I think pretty much all my music needs, so does our family. And when they added the podcasts, I was like, oh, I love it. And and now there's the graphics are in there and the trailers and all. It's they're they're really improving it and it's going great. So if you're also a Spotify user, that might be a cool place to listen and start to uh, run into the podcast there. All right. Well, my guests today are Rob Wagner and Lance Ford. And you maybe remember Rob from uh few episodes back, um, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes back or so, uh, we talked about emerging trends in the church, and there was two episodes, 306 and 307, and it was really popular, and it was really cool. And uh, Rob, just as a reminder, is a member of a Disciples Made executive team, 
Uh, it's an organization called Disciples Made. Awesome. And he's also a founding leader of the Kansas City Underground, which is a decentralized network of reproducing disciples, leaders, and micro churches. And they super equip everybody. And it's awesome there in their town. And they're doing a great work in Kansas City. Now, my second guest, Lance Ford. Lance is an author and a consultant and a coach. And he's written a ton of books. You've probably read some of his books. And um, they together, Rob and Lance, co-wrote a book with Alan Hirsch called The Starfish and the Spirit. And these guys are all really good long-term friends of mine who I have the utmost respect for. In this new book, The Starfish and the Spirit, what they've done is they've sort of taken the metaphor from the best-selling book, The Starfish and the Spider. Maybe you read about that. We're going to actually talk about that in the episode. And, uh, and, and, Talk about why the distributed structures of starfish types of organizations, and you'll know more about that when you listen, are uniquely fit to the church today. Maybe always, really. That's what I think. And and how um, churches can function without a rigid central authority. And it's so much, the stuff we're going to talk about today is so much of what the church needs. I really believe it with all my heart. You're going to love these guys uh, and this super engaging talk I had with them. Uh, this is really awesome stuff, okay? So let's jump into that now. All right, so I am so excited to have you guys, both long-term buddies and conference friends, and guys, that's how I think we probably all originally got to know each other was by being at a million conferences, right, and hanging out and all that. Well, what are conferences? Yeah. Exactly, what's a conference? Remember when people <laughs> used to all like pay super tons of money? It wasn't really their own money, it was their church's money. And they'd go to these <laughs> other church buildings to hang out. And you pay mean lots they, of went, money. they went, they went, they they left their house, they went to places? Yeah, they would They would get in a covered wagon and they would just, <laughs> you know, just drive the horses for days. And, you know, and by the time they got there, half the party was dead. You know, they had just yeah. dropped out from small. I think I went or, to some of those conferences. Yeah, yes, we went to okay. those. <laughs> Rings a bell. Hey, you guys have been busy toiling away on this uh, this new book. This, and I'm so excited about it because, I mean, I got to be honest with you. Up front, I'm excited about the book because I so loved the starfish and the spider, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing the reason you guys have done this, and I know I've talked to you about this for years. Actually, you've been kind of mm -hmm. cultivating this project, but. I, I don't think there was a church person or leader in the church when that book came out, The Starfish and the Spider, that didn't immediately go, see, <laughs> yeah. see? especially for all of us who are in yeah. the community, you know, and trying right. to say, hey, we're not anti-Sunday, but listen, we got to decentralize and be the church mm. and get the body out there and be, get nimble and all that. So I don't think anybody that was missed by anybody, but I feared that it was not necessarily implemented by many. You know, yeah, and so so now with this book, uh, I'm I'm just excited because that same principle is great. And now, how I got to ask, how much how much did uh, the original author Ori is it Ori? Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. right, Ori Brofman. Mm -hmm. How much did he participate in this book? And and way to go to get permission to set a gank his meta idea <laughs> and take it somewhere else. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Well, he actually was very involved in it. Um, uh, I got to know Ori. Um, Gosh, it's been about 14, 15 years ago. Actually, wow. Alan Hirsch and I met Ori at a Neil Cole conference, a conference that Neil was putting on in Long Beach, I think in 2006 or 2007. And uh, in fact, he had Ori come there and poor Ori's the sweetest guy. 
And uh, I don't know if I've ever even told you this, Rob, but, <laughs> you know, so it's a Neil Cole conference. It's in Long Beach, California. We've had you know, Neil so. Cole on the show. Maybe some yeah. folks will remember we talked about prayer kind of in everyday rhythms and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Neil's very laid back, very casual. And you can imagine, you know, the greenhouse conference is what he called it back in the day. And so, you know, how everybody's dressed or he shows up in a three piece suit. And I'm, I felt so sorry for him because it was like, somebody didn't like tell memo yeah, this guy kind of, yeah memo but anyway so um that's where i got to know ori i've really stayed connected with him we even had him at the centralized conferences speak which you you were a part of caesar um and just stayed with him and um stayed in connection and so this this idea of this book which i bet you there's dozens of other guys that have thought about writing this book uh was just in me for a long time and so probably six years ago i started talking to ori about it and um, he just really helped us co co coach us through it. It wasn't long till after that till I invited Rob to come into it. I just felt like the things that Rob would bring to it. And if if I've ever heard from the Lord on anything, I heard from the Lord on that. Rob was supposed to be a part of it. And, and then later you had, a, on, you had one other guy who was a there. Was the, uh, this guy struggled with some of his writings and everything. We invited him just to kind of boost some guy named Alan Hirsch. He's a guy, yeah. you know, kind Both of struggling. Corey and Alan, we felt like we could probably, you know. Take him on his pupils and yeah, you know, kind of mentor him. How, mentor how do you him get a like bit? two of the smartest guys in the planet and let you <laughs> no. write a book with them? What? How did you guys <laughs> wrangle that? Can I tell one little story? Sure, man. This is like a dream because I was on a plane in 2006 and a part mm. of a disciple making movement in India. And I'd spend two or three months a year there. So it wasn't like dropping in for a little visit, like deeply involved. And it was totally deconstructing my view of church and discipleship and like walking around the book of acts. And in 2006 on the same plane ride, I read the forgotten ways and the spider and the starfish. And it was like spending 18 hours straight with Jesus him just going. Ugh. And I got off that plane and I went with those apostolic leaders and we immediately started working through the MDNA and the starfish so to be at this place, by the way, what I'm going to talk later. to you about today, this week is brand new theology. Uh, you know, it's new polity. It's all about new ecclesiology. None of this I've really done. You know, <laughs> that's awesome stuff, man. Well, give me the, give me the general, give all of us here. And so for those listening, if they, maybe they read Starfish and the Spider, but maybe, you know, a lot of people are going to go, I never read that. Give us the general principle of why those two things quite brilliant. I think. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a, a brilliant uh, metaphor. So a spider mm -hmm. and a starfish from a distance look very much the same externally. Uh, of course, when you get up close, you begin to see structural differences, but underneath the surface is where things are dra dramatically different. So if you cut the head off of a spider, it's rip. Uh, the spider's dead, no longer functional because all the power, the locus of power is in the head. This represents hierarchical organizations or churches that look like a pyramid with... Uh, Typically, it might be a lead pastor or lead pastor or an executive pastor or a small team that really has all the power. Um, and then the starfish, on the other hand, if you cut the arm off of the starfish, you get two starfish because it's actually a neural net. It's actually a, like a brain network and everything is present in every cell to be able to reproduce the whole. Uh, so it's infinitely reproducible. And of course, that's the way of Jesus. When he says, go yeah. make disciples, every disciple is designed to be a disciple who can make disciples. And inside of each follower of Jesus is 
the potential for a movement. It's like the sea mm -hmm. has the potential for a forest. And, and obviously this is particularly important today when we look at the centralized, even if it's not like, okay, we've got a plurality of leaders or whatever. So we don't qualify, you know, we don't qualify for that metaphor. It's like, no, because if, if your Sunday experience is sort of the head of the spider in a sense where everything has to come out of that. And if that goes away, we really kind of start to die off. Right. Well, obviously we find ourselves in a situation very, very similar to that. Many do. And some are hanging on by, uh, their teeth, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So, gr what a great time uh, to revisit this. I remember when the when the, the original book on the when the in the spider, not in the spirit, came out. <laughs> it was um, we were all comparing it to, and maybe the book itself did to like Al Qaeda networks and That's all right. the terrorist mm -hmm. networks because you couldn't yep. you couldn't there was no place you could just bomb boop and it was over. You mm -hmm. couldn't take out a single leader because they had ten more that were just the copies of that. Per you know, like they were so good at reproducing their DNA, their ethos, their doctrine, their theology whatever you want to call it and it's still to this day right we're not we haven't successfully really stopped any of those organizations they they seem to disappear for a while and all they're doing is growing more legs right so exactly um, anything you'd add to that lance well you know it the metaphor um just breathes so much life for us especially now and we're not even quite post-covid right now right i mean we're we're, right. we're kind of post-covid we're getting out of it or whatever but uh, if there was ever a time that the church is in what we call the a, a liminal space, a liminal uh, situation where it must adapt or die, it's now. And even without, I, I think that we would all agree here that even without COVID, just in the the culture that we're in right now, what uh, I think Reggie McNeil would call would say that we are in a pre-Christian culture, or we need to act that like we are. So we're definitely, we've been saying, we know for a long time, we've been in post-Christendom, but we're almost circling back around to a, we've got to act like we're in a pre-Christian culture. So it's, we have to decentralize anyway. Uh, so I, I think that a lot of the shakeup in societal and cultural COVID, all that, I don't think it's a bad thing for us as the church. I think it is forcing us and pushing us to be who the Lord designed us to be in the first place. Amen. I feel like 2020 for, for myself and the folks in our team and all, and, and my wife, Tina and I, as we talk and do ministry together, we felt like in many ways, 2020 from a church standpoint and, and kind of a refocus of mission mm -hmm. and discipleship and all, it was like an answer to a 15, 20 year prayer, I, you know? Mm. And, and that of course is not because we desire anybody to lose their job or sure. die or like organizations to just be torn down for the heck of it or like we, or any of that. But it was just like, Lord, what's it, you know, we've all talked about it. Like what's it going to take for the church to wake up and be the church again, get decentralized into everyday life, all of life, really believe in the priesthood of believers and the equipping right. and, and the valuing of all the gifts. And, and then how do we nurture all that? We've been praying for that and living that and multiplying that, but still, you know, you think about it, you, you guys have been doing this just as long as we have people used to look at us completely everybody looked at us like we were nuts <laughs> like we had yeah. you know yeah you know it's like you don't e you don't even have to have the deconstruction conversations anymore yeah, i mean just think about all the deconstructive conversation we had to have about missional versus attractional yeah you don't even have to have that anymore yeah people you know and i think it's a lot that way now with even with the decentralized that's true uh issue is like most leaders now are saying hey i know that it's true. Now show me how to do it. Right. How right. do we do it? Because we've only known one form of leadership. 
So in the book, you talk about, you know, reimagining church. It's actually one of the big sections in there. And there's actually um, a book out called Reimagine Church and there's Reimagining Mm -hmm. Church. Anyway, but Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a beautiful word because I I like where it takes us. It's not only tactile, but it's also like, Hey, do we get to imagine how something gets to Mm be? Um, I've told the story many, many times that years of traveling overseas in uh, like war zones in like Sudan and Burma and all this stuff and being with the church and you're just like, wow, they are the church. They don't have buildings. They don't have money. They don't have no gear, but they are like in love with Jesus and and they care for one another and they're growing in faith and and closeness and understanding of the word all orally, by the way, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and you just go, man, that caused me to reimagine what, how I get to live and raise my kids and be. And I, I so want that for us now, not just willy nilly, as I think, praise God, we still have our rudder, right? We have our North star of scripture and that story, but we've, we've drifted so far. So uh, why, um, who needs, who needs to do some reimagining? Like what types of churches and leaders do you think? And then why is there a need to, to start to reimagine church? Obviously some of it's because of what we just experienced, but like you've already hinted at Lance, it's not just COVID, right? right. Who needs this? Do you think who needs to start reimagining church? Well, in, in the book, we try to create a continuum between spider and starfish. And there are different expressions of the church. If, if you have the spider, and that's kind of more hierarchical, lead pastor, one location, and then you move a little bit closer, now you got a spider fish, right? And then you got a starter, and then you got a starfish. The, the argument we're making is um, if you look at the New Testament, expression of the church or the kind of expressions of the church that we see around the world today in the majority world, where do they fall on the continuum? It's starfish. Like any honest student of the scripture mm-hmm. <laughs> is going to have to just throw up the flag of surrender. And so the so. question is like, that's why it's reimagined. Like this is actually the original design of the church. And we are for every expression of the church. God's spirit enlivens and empowers every form of the church. But now is this cultural moment where we have the greatest opportunity in a lifetime to actually reset and move strategically towards the right end of the continuum. So our invitation is, hey, if you are a spider, at least get over to spider fish. If you're a spider fish, <laughs> let's move it towards starter and let's, let's start moving towards the right end of the continuum. And, and so I think it's an invitation for all those churches, wherever you're at on the continuum, let's keep moving towards the original design, most especially in the book of Ephesians, which was really the foundation for this book. Wow. Great. And, and you know, along with that, um, what, I, what I would add, uh, of course, I, I've built the last two houses that I've lived in. I've rehabbed houses, you know, and so I know you guys dabble with stuff. And Caesar, I'm not sure how much you're into all that and everything. Of course, yeah, we used to flip houses. Tina, used okay, to flip I was I, see something was pinging yeah. in my head. I was thinking that you did. Okay, so you know, I love watching a lot of these uh, restorative shows and stuff. And there's this one guy. Do you watch any of those shows still? Yeah, do we do, and it, it, it it's hard because I right away right away I go, let's just buy a we house and flip it, it for a hobby. Right, right. But it's He's so much white. work, you know. <laughs> I know it is so much work. But there's this guy uh, that I love. His name's Brett Waterman. Um, he has a show called Restored. Now he he he's in California, like in in the Redlands and everything. And so usually he does these these craftsman homes and these these homes are sometimes 100 years old or whatever. Yeah. So he's going to go in and he wants to restore these homes back to their original quality, 
But of course, the people they 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 don't want in a, a, a mana radar range from 1952. Knob and tube wiring. Let's <laughs> exactly, add some more of that. that. You know? Right, exactly. So, I mean, they want some of the the newer amenities, you know. But but they're restoring it back to its beauty and its prestige and its power of its of its original form. And so, and there's been a few mm. cases where they'll be digging in there, maybe pull out a wall, you know, take a wall out, and they'll find the original blueprints. For yeah. the house now they take those blueprints and they amalgamate that with all the new technology or the new things that will upgrade but they restore it back to what it was and it becomes probably you know as great a house as it ever was and so wh what we're saying here in this book we're not saying hey we've got all the answers or hey this was the new testament model of the church but we are saying we are going by the blueprints of the new testament church we believe that we can make a strong case for that what are some and, of the types of things that uh, churches and church leaders, and along with, I, I hate, I don't want to just categorize there, even the, the lady of the church, the people who need to be open to, right? Because with that whole consumeristic pull and drag backwards for so many of us, because that's what we were kind of birthed into type of church, we also have to reimagine church and be willing mm -hmm. to be led and open to things and even take ownership where in the past, maybe we've just been renters. What are some of the types of things that so people are listening to this going, yeah, yeah, let's reimagine some stuff like... Like what? Like what are some of the categories or, or, or aspects of, of church that there again, you know, maybe there's not one perfect answer, but like we got to rethink some of this stuff. And, and, and there again, along with the metaphor of it's more decentralized, it's not in one sort of hub of, you know, ownership or activity or leadership only. Yeah, I, uh, I'll throw out one and I'll let Lance grab another one. Uh, one of the things that uh, is a fundamental shift, you know, is the shift from managing and directing uh to equipping and releasing you know most churches their mobilization pathway is kind of a cul-de-sac it ends up in programs that typically sustain the institutional church's ministries and i.e mostly sunday yes mostly. and maybe i'm not saying maybe that's a, it and there's a wide yeah, range. But maybe a volunteer role like we have a partnership with the homeless center so we go down once a month to serve mm -hmm. meals Sure. The, the challenge with that is, okay, Ephesians 1, this vision is to fill everything every way with the fullness of Jesus, saturating our city with the beauty, justice, goodness of Jesus. He's doing that through Ephesians 2. You have a masterpiece mission. You, you, everyone's called to make disciples, but within that, there's a unique assignment. Well, if my mobilization pathway dead ends into volunteer roles it, that lead to a church program, I am inadvertently probably distracting or delaying God's people from their actual assignment from heaven. And that's the problem. When I'm trying to manage ministry, I'm trying to direct it. I'm inadvertently strangling the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to ask churches to begin to see themselves as literally as an equipping hub. You're a mission agency. And, and we provide some very helpful practices some simple procedures, examples of what this looks like in multiple locations, how you can create equipping teams within almost any form of church. And it operates as a mission agency to equip ordinary people to be disciple makers and missionaries where they live, work, learn, and play. So if you're an ordinary quote unquote person listening, uh, it's time to like this identity of volunteer, um, you need to cast that off. Yeah. It's not a biblical. I, I, I hate it's that. Not a biblical identity. Mm. No, it's mm -hmm. not. You know, you're a disciple maker. You're a missionary. You have a calling. Yeah. 
And, and you need to begin to articulate that in a respectful way in your faith community. Like, how, do, how can we discover our calling here? What's the process? Not to volunteer, but to discover our calling. Yeah, but Rob, you know, I went to my pastor and I mm -hmm. went to the other pastor. And for years, I've been trying to, you know, say, hey, I have a burden to do this in our community. And they just kind of poo-pooed that. They just kind of shoot that down or they say, well, good luck with that, I guess. But that's not what we're about. Our do yeah, we don't have say, a dog that's that not thing. our vision. That's not our vision. Right. And you so hear that. What, you know. what does that person do then? Because, you know, there's this, there's, there's a rightful respect for the leadership and not wanting to leapfrog their leaders. But when the leaders are still wanting to dictate what we want to equip to only and what gets done, because listen, I'm that guy in a sense. I was on staff at that time, but before, right before we came out to Tacoma and we're a part of you know the leadership that, that started Soma, I was I was like, hey, I'm I'm on the lead team. Like we've been there forever. This is our family, and I'm like to the you know to the leadership team and the mm -hmm. and the founding pastor. Like, hey, you're sending us right. I mean, like God's calling us. You trust us, obviously. We're here sitting here. Like, you know, like on the very short list of who gets to, you know, have a voice here. And they're like, nah, our dog's not in that hunt. And that was it. That was like pretty much the whole conversation. And we'll yeah. like, when, so when are you going to clean out your office? I'm like, whoa, this is my family, you know? <laughs> and so I'm thinking that's what I kind of felt. And I was one of five people on the short list of who got to sit in the meeting and lead these things, you know? Um, what about your average person who's got a real burden for X, Y, or Z? And then, and then what about the leader says, I don't know how to equip to that. So how do we release that or fan that flame or, you know, tough sledding, right? For it is. I mean, and Lance, feel free to jump in any moment. I mean, that literally is the reason we've written this book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the second section of the book is about creating a culture for multiplying leaders. So if you be now, we start with the first section, because if you, you have to reimagine the church and if someone hasn't really been converted into the idea of the church being a movement of God's people being released as missionaries, then this book isn't for you. <laughs> but if, if you are converted in that second section, we provide a series of three starfish that each uh, provide a set of postures, procedures, and practices mm. to create a culture for decentralized leadership to make that shift to an equipping culture. Mm -hmm. And I'll kind of hand it off to Lance because he did a lot of the heavy lifting in that section. Yeah, well, we, we feel like that we have to reconsider our styles of leadership and the processes and, and, and then, you know, all, all the ethos of that. Um, you know, we've heard it a million times. Everything rises or falls on leadership, which I, I think we would all say everything rises or falls on discipleship or disciple making. But, you know, one of the things that people usually don't question is what kind of leadership. And that's the thing we need to be questioning mm -hmm. because even with all of our belief, we, we all believe in FIFO, we believe in emissional ethos, we believe in decentralization, yada, yada, yada. If we don't change the way that we lead and the way we treat people, the way that we lead, we're just going to keep getting the same thing over and over. You know, so we're surprised every few months when some famous leader falls for whatever reason. And we really shouldn't be surprised because, you know, the, it's the old adage is your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So we have to be questioning the style of leadership. And for far too long, the leadership in the church has come from the industrial revolution. And so it's very hierarchy. It's bossing more than coaching. It's very paternalistic. It's, it's very pretty much all the stuff that Jesus warned against <laughs> pretty or, much or forbid it. Like, you know, or, like you're not 
Oh, I, it know, won't I just, be this way among us. Last episode in the podcast, I talked about, you know, are your elders really biblical elders or are they more like deacons or, mm-hmm. and what's with the overlording? You know, like we're exactly. told not to at all. So right. this whole top down thing, it was forbidden in that, you know, so it, it, now, was, it was, you know, here's another aspect of the, like, I just, I, oh, I can't, I have to get this out <laughs> when I'm listening to what you guys are saying. And that's as that, like, what type of leader are we going to be? There's, I think we have some very, very, because of the system, risk adverse leaders, meaning I won't try anything that I don't have a, I haven't researched to the nines and I don't think I can control the win. And so to release people to try things that might not quote unquote, look like a win, you know, and you know, we, we are not the first people to say, Hey, fail, fail. You could fail three times and get to the win quicker than thinking about it forever and never trying. Right. And so to start to release people to grow, we, in our tribe, we say suck forward. Like you're just, you know, like suck forward. It's okay. Mm, But when our identity is tied to a certain benchmark of success and it's like Mm -hmm. really ancient and it's not even biblical. So then now we're told to let people go and be, and then fan that flame. Like, but what if that doesn't work? Or what if someone got hurt? It's like, what? No one's been hurt by pastors. No one's been hurt by our current system. Right. You know, everything we've ever done is just worked and moved the ne- you know, needle on the graph up and to the right. Hey, we're in free fall, man. <laughs> like, like, I think it's time to let some other people fail forward, you know, like, and that's not to not lead or to do stupid no. junk, you know, or go against, you know, what we, you know, our convicted scripture teaches and all that. But boy, that risk adverseness, we're going to have to swallow hard and ask the spirit of God to, to allow us to see that everybody has that same spirit, not just those who yeah. got lucky enough to get hired or something. Absolutely. You know, you're making me think of a moment last week, we hosted um, the multipliers learning community for expo. In mm. one of the sessions, we were talking about this shift from, you know, instead of being paternal, you're a partner, instead of directing, you're equipping, instead mm. of bossing, you're coaching, instead of micro management it's macro management like what's the fractal that we really need to guard that's all you need to worry about and we were telling the story of some of our missionaries and then making new disciples and micro churches emerging i'm in the middle of all this and the guy just like i have to interrupt you he throws his hand up I said, all right great and he said i had an epiphany and then he starts tearing up and he starts telling a story about one group of guys who ride harleys and then there's another group of guys i love that church. right off the bat yeah, yeah. And another group of guys that were with classic cars and how they were having spiritual conversations and leading their buddies to Christ. And these two different groups came to him and he said, you know what I did? I took control of it. Mm-hmm. He's like, that was a micro church, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, it sounded like two of them were emerging. And he literally started weeping. He said, I killed it. I killed mm-hmm. it. I killed what the spirit was doing. And he just repented in front of this whole mm-hmm. room. And I think one thing that has me very hopeful right now is I, I think there are more and more leaders where that veil is being removed and there's a genuine spirit of repentance. Mm-hmm. And I want to say up front, like if you're, our book is for those that uh, repentance is quick, common and continuous. Like we're say that like, one more time. Okay. Yeah. Our book is for leaders who repentance for you is quick, common and continuous. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking for, a tweak on the current system to make it a little bit better. It's really, we love you. We're for you. It's probably not a book for you, but if there's an ache deep in your soul, because the spirit of God has broken you of some things in Mm. this COVID season, like this handbook is for, we literally wrote it for you. We want to wash your feet. Like get this book. What an adventure Mm. you have ahead. If you'll embrace that. 
Yes. Mm. Right. Yes. And, and what all the stories you'll have to tell of all these people that you never would have imagined. <laughs> well, I tell you, Caesar, you know, in fact, there's this this we have one one of the starfishes called we call it the light load leader. Yep. And it, it, you know, it comes from, you know, Jesus says, Hey, come to me. If you're weary, you're, you're overladen. He says, because my, what does he say? My yoke is easy. My burden is light, yeah. but most leaders can't even identify with that scripture because they're just way down and wore out with leadership. Why can't that not be a leadership text? Right. If we yoke up with Jesus, because he's the big ox, man. I mean, he's the one that will carry the weight if we let him do it, if we let the government be up on his shoulders. And so that's one of the things that, that we really go to pains in the book is to show some systems and some structures and practices to say it doesn't, it can be a joy, just like you just said, Caesar. What a great, what a great journey of adventure ahead um, with the family of God. It doesn't have to be corporate life. And, you know, I, I think that the decentralized thing too, I think some people would, could be hearing this and go like, so now we're going to have a million lone rangers out there mm. just bouncing off the walls, trying anything under the guise of ministry. And we're supposed to be okay with it as leaders. Right. And, you know, I, I want to snap back. We're not chucking the book, you know, we're not chucking scripture, you know, all of that. All of this happens in life of a community on mission because no one of us is Jesus. We're the body together. And I don't know of too many successful ministry that, you know, components of a church that happen isolated. One person is just doing that and making mature disciples that way. And that, and that begs the thing to say too, please, 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 as you release and you fan the flame and you send and you try to multiply and, and let people suck forward. Remember, it's still under the guise of, are we making disciples that make disciples? Like that's, right. that's gotta be the banner. Is that, is that helping that? Is that a part of that? And then together, do these things add up to a richer componentry where we're learning from each other and all these different ministries are getting smarter together because we're watching that one little leg that broke off and now it's growing real fast, but it's different than what we're doing. But while wow, we're learning some stuff from it, right? I just, I think people just think, oh, it's going to be this Lone Ranger thing. And then, yeah. Well, and more. it's to say the least, it's not. In fact, we, our argument would be, that there's actually more accountability in this system. We can prove that there's, there's higher accountability, higher deg uh, degree of, of management even because, but it's not someone managing someone else. It's self-management. And then there's micro agreements between teams and between me team members that hold one another accountable. And so there's deep, deep leadership in this. So we're not def definitely, we're not tossing leadership and we're not tossing accountability. We're actually raising the bar on it. I think it's Mike Breen that says that movements like this, that they have low control, but higher accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Like you need yeah. to be going to the spirit and, and like go for it and test and try some new stuff and all that. But I am like, going to check in with you and go, okay, what did you learn from that? And let's close the loop. And right. is it just, are you guys, is that turning into a holy huddle or are you guys just the nicest people in that little group of people now? Or are you discipling them to maturity in Christ and depth of the gospel? And like, how do, can we help equip that aspect of it? Cause you guys have done an mm -hmm. amazing job of building out a community. Community. Can we help you grow in your gospel fluency or your leadership development skills or fill in the blank, right? Right on. Yeah. One of the, one of the starfish is called the structure starfish. And we talk about how is it that you structure for uh, low control and high accountability. Mm. And we talk about how it, first of all, instead of a pyramid, it's circle cell. So you have these circles that are reproducing, but they're overlapping. So for example, in the Kansas city underground, 
Um, we now have seven networks of microchurches in our city. There's four to eight microchurches in each one of those. And then there's governing elders. And there's also a hub that has eight equipping teams. So it's basically these small circles that keep reproducing. So a microchurch leader will have governing elders that are local. Usually it's hyper-local. Like they live within three or mm. four, five miles of you. And then you have seven equipping teams. They have apostolic equippers who are also meeting with you. Like we have better line of sight, higher level of accountability than any mega church with their small groups. Rob, I, how do you I, ever control all this as, as one of the leaders? How do you, how do you keep your thumb on all this? And <laughs> here's the thing. It's like, you got to get out of the traditional org chart. It's like, it's a family tree. I actually have more influence because I'm a great, great grandfather to some of these people. Right. Well, that's a key word there too, influence. You know, I remember when, I don't know who said it, but like I was somewhere along my continuum of learning how to lead within a community where I wasn't paying people, you know, like, you know, we have people that are like, I'm so good in business. We put them right into ministry, but without that looming paycheck, like they don't know how to lead or people come out of the, you know, military and they're like, Oh, are you kidding? She was, she was like, you know, captain and i'm like but she's never led without a stripe on her arm and the ability you know what i mean like mm -hmm. yes you know like and so th this is a this this idea of having a like authority versus do you have influence you know like what if you had great influence in people's lives but like but you realize the holy spirit's the one in control and the primary right. disciple maker oh but that requires faith and release <laughs> it's such a new level like i want to Please like be open to this, right? Now you've talked about various different types of spiders, you know, in, in the book. One of them you called was the movement spider. Okay. Or starfish. I mean, the movement starfish. Um, how do you define, how do you actually define and measure movement? And, and like, so if mm. a church starts, you know, they're reading your book and they're moving towards this, or people are saying, you know, we've been open to this, but we, we just need a little bit of framework. How do you even define and know if you are heading towards movement? You know, Man. that's a big word. That's a so big glad word. you asked that question. Oh, you're pushing <laughs> Rob's buttons now. <laughs> I've had, listen, I've, cause I've had church. I've had young people come to me and say like, Hey, uh, we're moving to uh, Kansas city or we're moving to St. Louis cause we're going to start a, a movement. And I'm like, really? Um, what do you mean? Like, well, we're going to start a movement. I'm like, how about you start with making a disciple, you know, or, <laughs> exactly. or like, or have someone over for dinner. You never done that yet. Right. You know? And so <laughs> how do you define a movement? And then how do you measure something like that? Yeah. Um, you know, movement has become such a buzzword in the church leadership world. And these days it's like, everything's a movement. Like we have a coffee movement. We have a water movement. It's we, have a, movement. we have a leadership yeah. movement. We've got a, we've got a social media movement, you know, and it, and if everything's a movement, then nothing's a movement. I mean, words actually matter. Definitions mm -hmm. matter. So in our book, we're, first of all, we're building off of the MDNA. Alan is a co-author. So theologically and phenomenologically, the six MDA DNA are the foundation, but then we're also, we're, we've chosen to build off of the work of people like David Garrison and David Watson, and they've been working guys. on it. Yeah. There are, you know, there are heroes and basically their seminal work of the last four decades has been to observe the greatest disciple making movements in history are happening in our time. There's about 4,000, disciple making movements that are engaged, but about 1400 that are by definition, disciple making movements. So basically here's the way they define it. Um, it's, it's rapid and viral. So the uh, momentum grows and appears out of control. It's multiplicative, not just by addition, 
So you're looking for Second Timothy two two. It's four generations on more than one strand. Explosive when you get to four like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's indigenous. So it's not about outsiders coming in, although outsiders might be catalytic. Um, but it's about local indigenous people that are making new disciples. And then fourthly, it's diminishing lostness within a given people group. And then the double click on that is basically they're saying in two to five years, uh, you're going to see this disciple making movement that's going now multiple strands, way gen multiple generations produce at least a hundred expressions of the church. But the church they're talking about isn't the prevailing model you see in the West with a building a professional pastor. It's what we would call a microchurch. Hmm. In fact, in these movements around the world, once you do the statistical analysis, like there's something like, I forget how many hundreds of millions of people that are in these disciple making movements. But if you divide it, it's about 16 people per church when it adds up. Hmm. So the, like the, that micro expression of the church that was primary in the new Testament. Oikos, um, yeah. The Oikos. Yeah. That the gospel was hitting and basically turning into a microchurch is actually still the predominant model around the world today. So with that foundation set, Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, what, what we're offering is a potential way of measuring a movement. And this is just something we're offering to the church to kind of move the conversation forward, building on MDNA, building on disciple making movements, because we think those, those are solid. Uh, we talk about five points of multiplication. And what if you had four gens, multiple strands at five points? The first point is what you said, Caesar, disciples. It has to start ground up as a disciple making movement. If people become disciple makers, that leads to the second point. Then you're a leader. You become a leader almost, almost without knowing it if you're actually a disciple maker. And then, yeah, if, because we say leadership development is just discipleship further up the slope, right? Right so on. If you're man. discipling people to maturity, then they're going to have some aspect of leadership. Not everybody, you know, this statement everybody's a leader. No, everybody can lead, I believe in some yeah. ways, right? Amen. So it's disciples, leaders. The third expression, the outcome of multiplying disciples and leaders is microchurches. Mm -hmm. So multiplying microchurches. Healthy things grow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Then the fourth point then is networks. So you, mm. those microchurches and leaders and disciples are being coming together in networks that either are geographic, they might be affinity groups. And then the fifth point that we add is we simply call it a hub. So a hub is an apostolic equipping team like the apostles in the temple in Jerusalem, like Paul with his gang of eight in Ephesus that are actually equipping a movement of disciples, leaders, and microchurches in a region. It, um, if you had four gens on more than one strand at all five of those points, I think you have a movement. Wow. Like, I think that's a, a legitimate movement. If you're not there, the, what we say is it starts with the mindset, then it goes to momentum. And I would say like, for example, in the Kansas City Underground, we have momentum, you know, we're two years yeah. in, we've had a thousand percent increase in micro churches. We've launched three hubs. It's amazing, but we won't even call ourselves a movement yet. Cause we're not right. We're not four gen. That's how it was all, all the years of Soma and Soma's still going. And I don't provide day-to-day -day leadership to that anymore, but everybody's like, Oh, the movement. I'm like, I don't know. I'm I, time will tell. And I think God will name it <laughs> ultimately, but I love, I love what you're breaking down there because I think it's, it's fairly tangible. Right. And we've all we seen little that. bits and components of all of it. It's not like, okay, like, what are you talking about? Like the God particle, something like, you know, spontaneous combustion. And no one has ever seen that. No, I, I think we've all seen or intrinsically understand those five elements. 
um, but maybe haven't experienced them for ourselves and or spent the time releasing and equipping and sending to actually get to that point. Now, so one time I got, I got, I got to tell a little story to back up a question here. Okay. One time I was teaching at a seminary and, and the, the head of theology, it was his actual class. He was the guy. All right. But he had me in to teach this one spiritual formation class. And he goes, before Caesar, I bring him up here. I just want to let you know, I know him real well. Everything he's going to say is biblical. You're going to love it. And you're going to start wondering why isn't my pastor teaching any of this? Right. And he says, let me just tell you, it's not because he has a problem with what Caesar's teaching or it's not biblical. It's because he's got a problem with the financial aspect of what you're about to say. He says, go ahead, <laughs> get up there. And I was like, I can't believe you just said that out loud. And I, th I there's going to be some people listening right now going, oh man, I'm getting a little warm, fuzzy and everything is, I feel great. I'm certainly already ordered the book. I'm halfway through this episode, you know, and, uh, but how do you collect the tithe if everything's all spit out there and decentralized? And don't they all have their own maybe financial needs that they might need to look after or fund or collect or, you know, so I have to ask that the elephant in the room, and it might be a way to even begin to start to wrap up this conversation. But like, how does something like this practically find itself funded, especially if it starts from within what might have been a traditional church org initially? Yeah, that's that's our story. Actually, we uh, in the in the book we talk about disciple making movements, and then we have this other mobilization pathway we call movements of disciple making. And movements of disciple making happens inside of the organized church where believers get activated as disciple makers, and that's actually how Kansas City Underground was born. So we launched out of a prevailing model church um, with seventy two missionaries. We refused to organize those people into groups. And call them micro churches. It's like, who's your partner? Who's your team? Where are you going to make disciples among unreached pockets of people? And they they began to do it. We were equipping them. Micro churches began to emerge. Here's what we have: we have a missionary commitment. We have a micro church leader commitment. When you get to that level of saying, "I am going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a disciple maker. I'm planting myself among an unreached pocket of people. I'm going to plant the gospel, and make mm. disciples." Yeah. One of the eleven commitments is to um, radical generosity, and when someone becomes a missionary, it's a very relational moment. Like we've had four or five missionaries come up from our microchurch, so when they sign it, it's a big deal. It's like I'm owning this mission, the Jesus mission. And we share our story with them about, and I, and I hope that that generosity is reciprocal. You know what I mean? It is that, that the, the church as a whole, as a family, as a body is looking after those needs and going, Hey, seasonally here as things are starting up and there's different growth yes. needs and all that, totally. we need to be open-handed with God's resource. And yeah. that, that unfortunately, or fortunately, however, depending on the look at it might mean we're going to defund as it were some of what we used to do to be able to move the family resource towards areas of growth, multiplication, sending, right? Half of our budget is grants for microchurches. Half of our budget. So what happens is most of our giving comes in online from the missionaries and the microchurch leaders and any microchurch members that want to give. We Some of our networks do collect offerings, but we train them with the same procedures. You train a traditional church plant like, hey, you got to have three people count it. You got to lock up the bag, you gotta, mm. and then when they turn <laughs> yeah. their money in, um, they have their own line item. So basically a micro church or a micro church network can collect offerings and will provide financial oversight, but their governing elders get to decide how they spend the money. Yeah, And then people give above and beyond to support the Kansas City Underground as a mission agency. 
Um, and our whole thing is bivocational. Like all the microchurch leaders are bivo, covo. That's and part of why they're not so broke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're not just sitting around waiting for offerings to like stack up deep enough. And so I'll go yeah. steal some sheep with deeper pockets. And you those know, of us that run the hub that lead those equipping teams, it's like, Paul, we either have, like, I've got three jobs and then I raise some support. So it's a combination of work and patrons. And that's yeah. how and, we do it. We're and still you know, I think within that, been. yeah, no, another thing that falls within that, and you guys know this is being Bavo slash Covo guys. There is a, um, there's a freedom in that, in your leadership in it. When you're not tied to that, well, the church is paying me to do this, so I better not. I guess if they say it, go left and the spirit says right. That's well. right. You know, I, you know, and, and, and listen, that comes into play. Any of us that have led and we've, and we've led that way. And, you know, that's been the way that we've, you know, received our remuneration is that it affects you. It really does affect you, or at least it's in the brain somewhere. And so there's a freedom and yeah, leadership this way. Absolutely. Well, there's so much more we could get into this. I, I, you know, we're not big on hawking books, but when I have brothers, you know, and sisters that I know and love and trust, and then I, I'm finding myself stoked either waiting for the book or when I finally get to read it, mm -hmm. you know, we had Doug Paul on a few months back, you know, and his book on innovation is so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to just wholeheartedly tell folks, you, you're not going to be disappointed in getting this book, but I can already tell you from just a little bit, I've, it just came out. So I'm, I'm not even fully through it yet, but knowing these guys' hearts and what they've lived uh, and, and breathed into this thing from experience, you will be challenged. So, you know, buckle up, trust the spirit, be willing to suck forward, um, but get it, you know, get, get the that. book and, you know, would you read it with at least one other person that yes. you can chew on it? Cause it's, it's hard to throw That's this stuff up good. against the wall in a dark room and then never see it again. Right. We don't want to just create booger walls, you know, like our kid next to our kids bunk beds, you know, with these ideas, like get somebody else in your life that, that you trust and matters and other leaders maybe, or, you know, beg someone in your church leadership team to read it with you. And, and say, hey, let's just see what the spirit says while we go through this. I, I think I think you're going to be very pleased with that, but it, it'll be a challenge and you will. I think it'll necessitate releasing of some things, um, which will start to see some new movements starting. Mm -hmm. I, I hope, man, I pray. So so mm -hmm. as we as we often do like to uh, like leave people with sort of big three takeaways, you know, and and oftentimes we we kind of formulate it head, heart, hands in the sense of like, mm -hmm. if, if nothing else from today, from the talk and uh, what we're trying to communicate, don't miss these three things. And as always, people can get this as a download. Like we, we kind of type this up and, and we'll send it to you. Just go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three and uh, boom, we'll download that. But you guys, what what do you what do you think would be the big three takeaways you wouldn't want people to, to miss from our talk today. All right. Number one, then okay. Lance, go for it. I would say this. Jesus is the head of the church and he is in his body. And that is that decentralization of Jesus being in the body. And when we go to Ephesians four and we look at the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, these are the gifts he gave to the body. That's a body text. It's not a leadership text. And mm. so he is in his body. And so in when Jesus was walking the streets of the earth, that his physical flesh was the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ now, and he is in us. And so it's incumbent upon us as leaders 
to not be the cork in the bottle and to let those gifts flourish and to rearrange our own job descriptions from being a director and being a manager and being a boss to say, no, I'm here to be a facilitator. I'm here to be a coach. I'm here to be an equipper. Man, that's going to take a lot of weight off of you. It's going to give you a lot more joy and it's going to cause your church to get very activated. Awesome. Wow. That's a great, that's a great summary of the first, like first thing. Don't miss that folks. Okay. Number two. I want to build off of what he said. If Jesus is the head, if we know who he is, I think the heart move is returning to our true identity. So it gets to, first of all, what Lance said, if you're a leader in the church, remembering Ephesians 4, your role is to be an equipper and to do an honest heart evaluation. How much equipping do I do? How much of my time... And remember that equipping is different than teaching. Mm -hmm. Equipping is a relational transaction mm -hmm. that's very personal, that requires try this, debrief, right? Repeat, reproduce. Way more apprenticing. Yes. Way more yeah. take by the hand and let's go. Yeah. So do a heart check if you're a leader. Like how much equipping are you actually doing? If you're a normal person, you know, ordinary person, I know that... You may be in a church that's trying to tell you you're an attender, you're a volunteer, become a member, become a giver. I want to remind you who you really are. Yeah. Like you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a beloved child of the King of Kings, and you are destined to start a movement of disciple making. Yeah, you have full authority and privilege here. Full that's, authority. We have all that. It's, it's not something they hand out at seminaries. <laughs> right. Exactly. And what's, like, the, what's the third one of the big three? What's the rubber meat uh, in the road sort of thing? How do we so get yeah, to that? Yeah, after you do that identity, like return to your true identity, here's a simple starfish secret to start with. Whatever it is that the Lord has taught you to do, it might be a simple way of engaging the Bible or a simple way of praying or a simple way of doing hospitality. This week, share that with someone and then ask them to also share it with someone and, and begin the simple starfish strategy of looking at how God has gifted you and intentionally teach someone else to do it this week, but not just also ask them to share it with someone else. Make that a part of the process. If you add that simple tweak into your way of life, you can start a disciple making movement. Yeah. Awesome. That's part of your, that's part of your starfish challenge, right? It you is. As you're kind of doing it that, is. like take something small that, you know, you feel gifted or passionate about and pass it on and ask that person to do the same. Yeah. You know, um, which really gets multiplicational. Cause then if they, if they pass on what you're showing them or teaching them or helping them experience, but then they also say, but I have this passion too. Great. Then you get to do both now. See, so mm -hmm. this gets so big, so fast. Oh man. It's or, or we can just go ahead and program some things and ask people to att attend. Oh, we that could do that. And we mail know in to do that, that check. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, as always, I could just keep going and going because I love you and it's I miss you and um, and I'm so grateful that you keep applying your yourselves to the hard work of digging this out for us and writing books and all. And I've Thank done you. a few myself, as you know, it's, it's tough sled and it's hard work, but boy, oh boy, this one's going to be one I think is going to really, uh, we're going to return to it a lot and need to. And that's the thing is, you know, like I, I think someone has coined the phrase of a permanent revolution, Alan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's also an author of this, like, this isn't something you go, remember, remember back after the COVID, we had to change a few things like, oh, guys, please see this as the way we get mm. to live 
in light of what Amen. we see throughout all of scripture. And, and, Amen. The, and the fact that we have the spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Come on. Amen. Whoa, pretty strong, stronger than uh, our COVID problems, stronger than our lack Very of budget so. or our, our bad uh, live streams or whatever. <laughs> you That's know? right. That's All right. I'm going to let you guys go. And uh, thanks so much again for being on. And, and I'm going to put some links in the show notes, but everybody can go on Amazon and get this book like now, right? It just came out. So go Absolutely. and get it. And again, I just want to remind people, at least do this with one other person, read through the book and discuss it. You're going to get not like twice as much out of it. You're going to get manifold multiplication out of it just by discussing it with someone meaningful in your own life and going, Hey, what do we do? What do we do with this? Right. So anyway, right thanks again, guys, for being on. Thanks, I really Caesar. appreciate it. And we'll Thank talk you, to you real brother. soon. Wow. I told you that was, <laughs> that was a great interview, right? Those are some smart guys and that was fun and meaningful. Um, just the big three alone was worth listening to today, <laughs> right? Oh, these guys are the real deal and they've given us all, myself included, a lot to think about and some changes, I think, to start moving towards. You're going to really love that book. I hope you'll check it out. Again, I'll have the Starfish and the Spirit link in the show notes. All right. Well, that's about it for today. Join me next week as we're going to talk about 10 things that are probably keeping you from living on mission, or maybe they could be, or maybe just a few, or maybe all 10. I don't know. But anyway, um, that I think might help you identify a few things, especially as we kind of come out of lockdown and pandemic stuff and weirdness. Um, this will be a good review of things that might be keeping you from living on mission and sort of a, a discipleship as a lifestyle kind of thing. Okay. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.